The following program has been brought to you by Cane Vineyard and Winery. Cane Vineyard and Winery supports Heritage Radio and the growing movement to change how Americans eat and how we think about our planet. For more information, visit www.cane5.com. Dig Plants on the Heritage Radio Network. I'm Carmen DeVito. And I'm Alice Marcus-Krieg. And we design, install, and maintain gardens in and around New York City. The Heritage Radio Network broadcasts from two shipping containers in Bushwick, Brooklyn, located next to Roberta's Pizza at 261 Moore Street. So on We Dig Plants, we aim to bring the culture to horticulture. And in doing so, today we want to talk about... Uh, garden media, past, present, and future. And we have a great guest with us today, Patty Kraft, who is the publisher and editorial director for Horticulture Magazine. Welcome, Patty. Thank you. It's great to be here. Hi, Hi Patty. How are you? Hi, I'm great. I'm great. It's a little gray and uh, <laughs> cold here in Ohio, but I'm doing well. What about you guys? It's the same gray and cold here in New York. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> We're about to go outside to work in about two weeks to start, you know, cleaning up the gardens and um, getting them ready for the season. So this is like our last two weeks of gearing up. So we were hoping for some sunshine, but not yet. <laughs> I can relate. I can relate. We're having a meeting tonight for our community garden and uh, we're going to be outside this weekend. It's going to be a little chilly, but that's okay. Yeah. At least we don't have snow. Right. Which is awesome. We, I thought we'd never see the end of it this year. <laughs> anyway, let me tell our audience a little bit about you. Um, as I said, Patty Craft is the publisher and editorial director of Horticulture Magazine. And that requires that she act as chief executive optimist and agent for change for the gardening community at F&W Media. She embraces the ever-changing world of online and social media while cherishing the time-honored tradition of plant publications. Having the responsibility of guiding horticulture's continuous publication history into its 107th year is a privilege for which she is grateful. She's a lifelong resident of Southern Ohio, as you heard, and Patty is happiest when she's playing in the dirt. I couldn't agree more, Patty. Well, that, you know, whenever I get to hear that description of my job, I just, I can hardly, I have to pinch myself. I love my job. It's such a great thing to be in publishing and the subject matter being gardening, which I'm passionate about. I'm a really lucky person. And you keep all the gardeners busy in the wintertime. <laughs> <laughs> Writing, <laughs> researching, reading, <laughs> blogging. So tell us a little bit about the origin of, of the magazine of horticulture. Didn't it start in, in 1904 as the publication of the Massachusetts Horticultural Society? It did. It did. In fact, in preparation for today, I pulled out our bound copy of those first issues. Hmm. It it's tattered and falling apart and brown, but um, it was. It was a, a one-year subscription to it was a dollar, <laughs> unless, of course, you lived overseas, and it was $2. And, you know, advertising was a full page for $24. Wow. <laughs> so, but it did start out as um, the communication tool of the Mass Hort Society and has stayed in continuous publication since then. That's pretty special. 
It really is. In this day and age when really respected and long-term magazines are having to shut their doors, you know, it feels like a blessing to still be out there in print and being able to continue communicating with gardeners. Right. What were some of the, um, if you have a second, what were some of the uh, article titles? Sure. <laughs> That's always well, interesting to compare. You'll, you'll, you'll crack up. I was reading, um, let me read you just this opening paragraph. It's about two, three sentences called, the article's called The Doctrine of Selection. And you'll, you'll hear the difference in the way we communicated then to yeah. now. It's written by a man named William Smith. It says, a fundamental principle of horticultural advancement lies in the doctrine of selection. Slighting reference to this truth is sometimes heard from those who have some new or grotesque dogma, which they seek to promulgate, but it stands. <laughs> <laughs> okay, now translate that. <laughs> I was say, I'm not really sure what he said, but he sounds really smart. <laughs> or wait a minute, wake me up because I'm asleep. <laughs> I know, I know. But um, no one's going to Twitter that. No one. <laughs> no, I, I really don't think so. It's you know, it's just indicative of how we're still talking about the same topics, but we really communicate very differently. Right. Um, the articles in this issue were about, there's one about Father Gila, one about Rose disease, um, that one called the Doctrine of Selection. Um, there's even one called the Cut Flower Market Report. Oh, wow, wow that's, that's fun. Yeah, so it, it sort of covered whatever those people in the society were involved with and interested in. Uh-huh. 1904. Right. It was probably a bit more scientific than writing today, right? Yes. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> to put it mildly. <laughs> yes. And the people who are reading the magazine, this is something that we're going to get into, um, hopefully in some depth during this interview, but how, how gardeners have changed and what information they need and want has changed. When we were talking, Patty, before this interview, we, you know, the statement, print is dead, or is it? Mm. You know, how does it fit into the whole matrix of, you know, garden information today? Well, I hear that all the time, that, that battle cry, that print is dead. Um, and I always argue the point. I really do not believe it's dead. I don't even think it's really dying. I feel like we're at, a, um, it's not even a crossroads. It's just a fork in the road where there are lots of other ways that right now are getting a lot of attention. You know, e-readers, um, blogs online. But invariably, when I'm at a place where I'm talking to gardeners face-to-face, many of them will tell me, yes, I read blogs, yes, I have an e-reader, but I still subscribe to print because I want to sit down on the couch with my cup of coffee and leisurely read through and look at the photos. So I, yeah. I, I just don't, I'm not buying the print is dead mantra. I agree with you. I agree with you. There's something about a book or or a magazine, you know, and having that that leisurely time and you know to to really look at it. I think when you're on the computer, your you know your your mind is racing. I know mine is. When mm-hmm. I when I'm looking or even if I am reading a blog, Noel Kingsbury's blog, which I love, right? I, I'm still like you know, going 10 miles an hour ahead of myself thinking, 
what what am I missing? What more should I be looking at? And you know, consume. I think consume, it's the nature consume. of the of the medium. And also, can I just say something kind of nerdy and old fashioned? I like to rip the pages, inspirational photos out of magazines, yeah. and pin them up and look at them and put them all around my office mm-hmm. because it inspires me. You know, or a little tidbit of information I like to file away somewhere. You know, I may not keep the magazine intact because we're in New York and we're you know starved for space, but I like to pull things out and even magazines that have nothing to do with gardening mm-hmm. sometimes inform some of the work that, that you know we do, that sure. we do and will you just want to have it around to look at and to refer back to and to think about you know yeah. yeah i agree completely here in my office right where i'm sitting i've got um a four-page spread that i yanked out of yoga journal uh-huh. that i is a magazine that i read it's tacked up on my wall i've got those ads that perhaps you've seen in a variety of magazines that talks about how print is not dying and how many people still subscribe and even young people are are reading magazines so i can relate i love to be able to pull that out and tack it up and have a visual cue right there yeah or or to fold them up and keep them in a journal you know whether it's about your garden or or just a personal journal just to remember and be able to refer back to something that you liked you know and you know before there was all this blogging i mean i would send articles to friends you know i would cut things out that might not have been interesting to me um but it might be interesting interesting to somebody else. And then there's also the whole dentist office pass-along magazine thing, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. The magazine, yeah. and that's a big part of the advertising, too, is how many people are going to read it, you know? It's, it's sort of, it's a shared thing in a, in, a, in a different way, you know, not necessarily better, but in a different way than a blog or a Twitter or something you share on Facebook, you know? Absolutely. So what are what are the demographics for Horticulture Magazine? And how is it different from like a generation ago hmm. at, or at its inception? Well, that's a good question. I, I have to confess I'm not, I don't have exact figures from a decade ago or even from its inception. <laughs> yeah. But I can tell you right now, our average horticulture reader, um, and I'm talking about the magazine, the right. print product, that part of our community, um, is female. She's been gardening for an average of 31 years. Wow. Um, Their income, she has a nice income, a nice family household income. Um, And the average size of her garden, don't fall off your chair, is one and a half acres. (laughs) (laughs) So um, there's 10,000 New Yorkers in that amount of space. (laughs) I know, I know. So I do feel like that has long been the print reader demographic Mm -hmm. but you'll notice i keep saying that's our print reader because for us horticulture the magazine is like the hub of a wheel and from that we have another we have a variety of other ways that we reach out to gardeners who are who skew slightly younger like 35 and up. Right. And they would, if you asked them what their level of gardening ability is, they may even call themselves a beginner. Right. Um, and they're not gardening in one and a half acres. Some of them are gardening in containers on a balcony. Sure, right. So um, that's why I love the idea of, com- of a community, of a gardening community, because like in any community, there are little pockets of people with different interests or different um, abilities. 
I like that. I like the idea of community, and I like that you, you know, you're really tailoring your content, you know, to stay relevant to these newest gardeners and these younger gardeners. Uh-huh. The question I have, Patty, is how there's so much gardening content on the web. It's, it's overwhelming, you know, because, yeah. of course, Alice and I are constantly on there looking and searching and comparing and seeing what's out there. How do you how do you make your content you know, as the, the horticulture community kind of stand out amongst all that stuff, you know? Uh-huh. Well, I think part of it is, is educating people and reminding people that you can Google just about anything and find information, but is it reliable information? The source, right. You know, like Wikipedia. Yeah. <laughs> Who put that information there? I know. <laughs> so it's... Um, my daughter's grown now, so I don't have that, you know, that burden of reminding her, but she used to teach high school, and she would tell them, you can Google it, but you better make sure it's a trusted resource. Uh-huh. So for us, it's really important that we do remind people that we've been doing this for more than 100 years, not mm-hmm. a year, not six months, um, and we employ trusted garden writers, people with credentials who... I shouldn't say credentials. People who are passionate and well-informed. Uh-huh. That's a good way to describe it because in our, in our business, in our field, there's people who have the credentials on paper yes. and just as well-informed and experienced people who have no credentials and no you know, diploma saying that they went to uh, horticulture school or design training or what have you. And they are some of the best gardeners that we know. I have to agree. And, you know, perhaps... And I don't know, hopefully there's nobody still listening that thinks of themselves as old school, but I do kind of feel like in the beginning, Horticulture, the magazine, was a little bit like that. It kind of was, if you don't have these credentials, we really don't want to hear from you. Right. And we're really trying to break down that barrier um, so that those people who want to get in touch with gardeners have that opportunity. Right. Right. Well, Carmen and I um, met and worked side by side at the Horticultural Society of New York. So I think we're talking about the same kind of mindset. <laughs> yeah, then you know what I'm talking about. Yeah. <laughs> and, and there is something to be said about, um, you know, inventing yourself. But, but it, when you invent yourself, you've really got to make sure, like you said, you've got some trusted sources behind you. Mm-hmm. And you know the history of those sources and where they come from versus just, you know, blabbing to blab about a topic. Well, you know, and here's a story I can tell you where we, we took a misstep, where we kind of fell down. A couple years ago, um, we had done a little survey to talk to our readers, and we found out that many of them are master gardeners. They've mm-hmm. completed the master gardener program. So we thought, how great would it be to include a master gardeners column, yeah. where we would tap into master gardeners from around the country and pose to them the same question, what are the three things you're doing this month? Because it would be different zones, different, you know, different seasons. The backlash we got from readers I have to say, really surprised me. They said, we don't want to hear from master gardeners. We are master gardeners. We want to hear from the experts. Oh, that's funny. It was funny. So, It's actually per- kind of sad, though, that they don't think of themselves as, as having an expertise. Well, you know, <laughs> part, of it, part of it might have been our presentation, too. I take responsibility for the flop because perhaps it was just putting all those master gardeners 
in one column on two or three pages because we still do have many people. Peter Garnum, for example, who writes our edibles column, uh-huh. which is very popular. He used to write our organic approach column. He runs a huge farm in New York, but he he also reminds people that he's a master gardener, too. So we do still have them. I think it was just like I said, I take the responsibility oh. <laughs> for the little flop there, but it just was interesting. Yeah. Well, I, I think I would have enjoyed the, the article. So, <laughs> um, so let's, um, I have the latest issue. Of, yeah. course, of course, I'm a subscriber. Thank you. <laughs> because as, as Alice and I were saying, we still believe in print. It's not well, going it, away. <laughs> if I can de- just derail you for one moment. Sure. It's really important. Subscribers are very, very important. Magazines are either, magazines are run based on revenue brought in from subscribers and or advertisers. Uh So never underestimate the power of your $20 subscription because we are, we are largely subscriber based. Oh, that's really interesting to hear. I mean, that's one of the things that I noticed. I have a confession to make and this is going to date me. For those listeners who already haven't figured out how old I am. (laughs) Um, So I grew up reading my mother's Better Homes and Gardens, Patty. I was obsessed with that magazine. It was the only magazine that my super frugal parents would subscribe to. You know, my mother would love to flip through it and fantasize about, like, all the things. And I, I, of course, love the gardening section. And when we were receiving it as subscribers, it was thick with advertising, Patty. I mean, it was like... it was a heavy dude, and I was actually fast as much as fascinated with the advertising yeah. <laughs> as the articles, you know, as a young woman. So Certainly. now I'm I'm holding Horticulture magazine in my hand, and I hear what you're saying about the subscribers being important because it's a lot thinner, yeah, you know, than it was just a few years ago. Well, and I like to I like to respond to that head on. Mm-hmm. It is thinner. It's thinner than I wish it were. Of course. Because I would love to be able to pack it full of even more gardening information than I already do. Mm-hmm. But with, you know, the economic downturn that we had, believe it or not, paper costs, gasoline costs for delivery, postage costs, those things weigh in mm-hmm. really heavily. Sure. Yeah. So it's a tough decision to say, I'm going to print fewer pages, but... When we do that, we even uh, we readjusted the design of the magazine so that images were smaller and we could include more um, text. Or in situations where the images were important, we would cut text and make the images big. We want to still pack it with information. Of course. But um, I, I feel like, and I, I'll, I'll go on record to say, I feel like things. there's a little bit of a, an upswing. Advertisers are are loosening their belts a little bit more, looking forward to you know the end of the year and to 2012. So we have two issues at the end of the year. Probably, are you holding the one with the daffodils, the February March? Uh, no, I have both. I have that one, and then I also have the one with the seedling on oh, it. Oh, good! You already yeah. have April. Great. Yep. Well, these issues are at 76 pages. The two issues that we'll be doing at the end of the year are 108 each. That's that's impressive. That is. I mean, and that is largely in thanks to our subscribers and to, you know, I think, a little bit of an upswing in the economy. Yeah, yeah. 
We actually have to take a break. Mm -hmm. Um, Stay on the line, Patty. We'll be back in a few minutes. You're listening to We Dig Plants on the Heritage Radio Network. For many years, I only thought of money. For many years, I only thought of wealth. Till one day I saw a bee sipping honey. And that bee was a picture of health. If the flowers could do so much for a bee... I wondered what could those flowers do for me. So I decided to get the secret straight from the bees. I went to the nearest beehive, pretending to be a busy little bee, stuck my nose inside the hive, and what happened? One of the bees looked up and yelled, Take to the hills, boys, it's an ant eater. (laughs) Covered with chagrin, I decided to learn nature's secret. And what did I do? I buys a nacre of good, rich land. Now, commuting with nature and Mother Earth, I'm living a clean life, surrounded by dirt. Cause I'm a vulture for horticulture. I spend hours making pretty flowers grow. I go tripping amidst the tulips, spreading pollen with my little rake and hope. The following is a public service announcement from Heritage Radio Network. Tune in to The Naturalist every Monday at 12 p.m. Bernie Wides, a.k.a. The Naturalist, is a walking encyclopedia of history, biology, geography, and a whole host of other words ending in Y. The Naturalist is his platform to make you just a little bit smarter every week, covering an enormous breadth of topics from animal life to prehistoric New York. Let Bernie's dulcet voice and razor-sharp intellect guide you through 30 minutes of pure, unadulterated knowledge. Co-hosted by Carol Butler. Again, that's every Monday at 12 p.m. on the Heritage Radio Network. In fact, he told it so well that now I can't get used to girls. Hi, welcome back to We Dig Plants on the Heritage Radio Network. Um, we're going to continue our discussion with Patty Kraft, publisher and editorial director of Horticulture Magazine. So we've been talking a little bit about the past and the present. Let's talk a little bit about the future. Let's get into the world of gardening on the web. Okay. Uh, on, on your site, which I love, you have some really, really interesting tools. Um, one of the ones I really like are the live and on-demand smart gar- gardening webinars. Tell us a little bit about that, Patty. I will. Um, <clears throat> our, our web address is hortmag, H-O-R-T-M-A-G.com. Um, and our smart gardening online workshops are a series of online workshops, webinars, if you will, um, that are free to the attendees. We can register as many people that want to attend for those, and we've had upward of 1,000 people for some of them. Um, and then what happens is on the day of the event, it's a live uh, how can I explain it? You call in, I mean, you dial in on your computer, and the presenter and I are talking live, and you experience the webinar live with a PowerPoint on your computer screen, and we record it so that even the people who registered but couldn't make the event, they get a link to it via email afterward, and they can watch it whenever they want. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, Alice and I have have done that with business kind of webinars. That's been really helpful to connect with people that are, you know, far away or that we don't want to travel cross country to learn some 
something from, you know, to do it yeah. in our own time or to do it live, you know, or at the end of a business day when, you when know, you're in your pajamas. Yeah. You know, where <laughs> yeah. you're done with, you know, you don't have to respond to any more emails, you know, from clients. You can focus and relax and, and listen to it. It's been great. It's really been very popular, I have to say. We've done a lot of them. Um, Carrie Mendez, she's actually got a company there in New York called Parentally Yours. She has um, led a number of them. And we, we deal with the, the hot topics t- that our readers love the most, which are growing perennials, um, low-maintenance gardening, container gardening. Um, in fact, we have one coming up on the 24th of, uh, well, it will maybe pass by the time people are hearing this, but um, March 24th, we're doing one on ornamental grasses. So oh, That's very hot right now. Yes, it actually. is. We're going to do that with Santa Rosa Gardens. So um, we just did a one with Botanical Interests about starting seed? from seed. Yeah. Oh, we love that company. They're one of our favorite <laughs> seed companies, actually. Absolutely. Mine, too. It was great. Um, Ryan, their in-house horticulturist, walked us through the process of starting from seed, and it seemed easy enough that I could do it. <laughs> That's great. Well, Patty, if you ever want to have one on urban gardening, just give us a call. Yeah. Absolutely. We'd be happy to do it. Yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> um, so let, let's go back for one second to um, advertising. Okay. Um, what kind of advertisers are still attracted to the print medium? That's a good question. <laughs> because. <laughs> Putting, <laughs> um, Did I stress you people, out? <laughs> no, no. Big ones, big ones. <laughs> well, I wish big ones. I really do wish big ones. A lot of the bigger advertisers, I think, are buying into that whole print is dead. Mm. Um, oh, philosophy. Really? Well, sometimes. So for us to attract the advertisers that we want and that we want to keep, it's key for us to put together packages for them that are community-wide, not just in the print product. Of course. But, yeah. you know, an opportunity online, perhaps with one of our webinars or one of our podcasts on Horticulture Radio or on the website somewhere or reaching out to our email lists or even doing a giveaway on our Facebook page. We really are employing a lot of social media. Right. So... Um, and advertisers are, are into that, you think? They're, they're wanting those opportunities? They're warming up to it. Okay. You know, in, in the gardening industry and in horticulture specifically, um, many of the companies that we're dealing with have a long history, much like the magazine, of being family-owned and run. Uh-huh. So for them to... They, they're comfortable with print, but the cost for print sometimes is not within their budget. Right. So, as I say, they're warming up to this multimedia idea. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think also the idea of relationships, um, uh, you know, cultivating a relationship. I, I, I'm sure you guys maybe had this as an advertiser. Monrovia, a uh-huh. few years ago, put together that big campaign for their plants based on uh, landscape designers and landscape architects. Uh-huh. And I think the alliance and the relationship that they were establishing with, you know, I, you know Ken Smith, not, not that I know that he did. Right, had, I hear what but, you're saying. But, mm-hmm. but some sort of big name architect 
landscape architect who who they could align with well it's, it's several it's sort of bringing the the element people love celebrity it's yeah. like it's adding that element of celebrity which are our business is kind of old-fashioned compared to other industries of equal scale don't you think patty that they absolutely i always say that to people right. and they don't realize i said it's multi-billion dollar business but like patty said it's so much of it is family owned so there isn't this um, big vision yet of how to bring in, how to really advertise, how to really promote. And I think the web is going to change that a lot right. and make it affordable for people to reach many more people economically. Right. Well, and what I have found frustrating, uh, I hope this doesn't become too businessy and boring, but in, in the advertising world, a lot of people make their advertising buys based on cost per thousand of eyes that are going to see their product. Right. Mm. And I think in this day, like I said, wasn't it, what was it, Gourmet? Was it Gourmet that shut their doors? Yeah. yeah. I'm so sad like, about that. If Gourmet can't keep their doors open. Right. You know. Then who can? Right. Who can? Yeah. And perhaps we need to worry about not just eyes, but ears, you know, like radio shows. Yeah. Or eyes that aren't in the magazine necessarily, but who are affiliated with your publication through workshops. Right. You know, I, I just think there's a, it's, we're at that, you know, that fork in the road where with these new technologies, there has to be that um, education too, or um, advancement of the advertiser understanding that there are other ways to, to contact their, their customers. Which brings us to one of our questions about the cohorts and Facebook. Yeah. T- tell us a little, that's a perfect example, Patty, of how to do that. Well, well, what is cohorts? Just to explain <laughs> it. it you well, know. you know what? It, it was just kind of funny. It was like, who are? what are we calling our people? Who are the people <laughs> that are part of the horticulture community? Uh-huh. And somebody said, well, we're cohorts in gardening. But um bum I love exactly. that, though. I exactly. Love so when I, when I talk to you about loving the fact that I'm a community leader, that's what I kind of think of as my sure. title. Yeah. That's what we're doing on Facebook. Certainly, at times, I'm going to remind the people there that there are opportunities to subscribe to the magazine or come over to our online store. But most importantly, and it is me largely, it's me, Amanda Thompson, who's our blogger and our editor, we're the people behind the keys. We are on in and out of Facebook a dozen times a day uh-huh. because it's really important for us to connect with those people on a real level about gardening, about right. what's going on. Because it's more than just, you know, come April and go get your, your you know, azaleas and put them in your garden. It's, right. It's really about the way plants impact your life. And that's really an everyday I mean, that's what Carmen and I try and do and, and live our lives right. accordingly. And know? it impacts us whether we like it or not. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> but it's the medicine. It's the food. It's, yeah, that's know. why we like to talk. And we don't mind talking about this side of it, Patty, the business side, because 
there's lots of how-to everywhere. You know, we want right. to we want to bring plants into people's lives, even people that aren't gardeners that just might have a science angle. Like in your in the latest issue, you have a a, a column called Science Matters. Yes, you know, right. and that's going to appeal to a certain person. Well, you know, well, the Massachusetts Hort Society <laughs> from 1904. <laughs> right, maybe someone you know with an MIT degree. You know, yeah. or but just yeah. a whole different kind of way of, you know, it's not the typical article that you see in a that you think about being in a garden magazine right you know it wouldn't have been in better homes and gardens in 1989 that's for sure well you know and, and you know you you uh, you're talking about that april issue that science matters is about cryopreservation yeah right and you know it, it's it's intriguing to me even if i don't completely understand it it's actually um what they're doing over at the cincinnati zoo and arboretum right so right. you're right it's it, you know there's it's just a, a bonus, I think, that we can share that information in print, but at cohorts or on our Facebook page, we don't have to talk about cryopreservation. You know, we can talk about, on Wednesdays, we do Wordless Wednesday, and all of us share what's growing or not growing in our garden with a photo. Oh, that's great. So, you Wordless know, during the Wednesday. winter months, we saw a whole lot of snow pictures. Yeah. Right. <laughs> right. Well, I'm a big fan of posting weird uh, garden-related photos. I love that. I think that, you know, more than just a link or something, I think it immediately gets people's attention, gets them thinking about it. One of my favorite things to link up is fashion and horticulture. Yes. I love to, um, you know, focus on that because it's such a very different industry and it's so much about surface you know, and I feel that our business, well, it is a business and Alice and I are in business. We're not a non-for-profit, certainly. Certainly. Um, But I love to put those two sort of opposite um, kind of fields together and see how they might influence each other, you know, and and one photo says it all sometimes, you know, it it really does. And I love that. So let's talk about that. Uh, That leads us to a, a next question. Um, I'm sure some of you have read the New York Times is about to go live with paid content on the, mm-hmm. on their website. So in other words, you'll have to pay to get some of the news and articles. Um, some will be free. Some will be free and some will be paid for. So the popular stuff you have to pay for and then the other stuff is free. So is, do you think that's the direction that magazines might go? You know, that... that idea has been brewing, obviously, for a long time. It doesn't just happen overnight that the New York Times says, hey, let's charge people. Um, But I will be curious to see how successful they are. Because even myself, um, my my browser defaults to the New York Times homepage. You know, when I open it, am I going to pay to get additional information? I think it's going to be a, a curve, like a learning curve. Oh yeah, where people are going to have to start to realize, oh, I'm not really getting the information I want. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, so I don't know. I don't believe that that's the direction that magazines are going. Uh, not it's, in the very near future, because, like we just talked about, it's a different experience to hold that printed product in your lap. Mm-hmm. Well, the New York Times had said that subscribers to the newspaper will get that extra content for free. Mm. It's, you know, it's the, so you can either get it if, you know, by paying for the paper, literally. Right. Or if you don't want to pay for the paper to come to your home, then, you know, you're just going to hear about Justin Bieber and not get the other <laughs> stuff. Or you're just going to 
go to the library. How antiquated is this? Go oh to the my library God, and read please. it for free. <laughs> <laughs> so it's, it is. And, and New York Times is a great test case. I agree with you, Patty, to see if they can pull it off. Uh-huh. And be successful, then I think other people will follow suit, and they probably are the only ones that have enough, you know, money in the bank to be able oh, to, exactly. to do that test. You I know? hope Google doesn't go that route, or else we're all in trouble. Right? You know, because how did we get information before there was Google? Right. Well, <laughs> we had the Encyclopedia Britannica. Didn't exactly. We? <laughs> Patty and I were talking about that because we were, I was sharing about how my son believes every. You know, he's eleven, so he doesn't right. have the experience, and he's doing reports for school. And I said, you cannot just assume that everything on Google and Wikipedia is fact. It, right. it, many it's a, times it's, it's someone's opinion. And, and it's a starting point. But, you know, he's an, a lazy 11-year-old, so he's just going to, you know, and I said, what's going to happen is one of your teachers who's more savvy is going to <laughs> pick up on that and you're going to be surprised at, Cut the, and paste. at the results. Cut and paste. <laughs> yeah. Plagiarism. Yep. Yeah. Well, unfortunately, we are out of time today. It's been so great. Oh. <laughs> I know. We're just getting started. It's so great to uh, to hear from you. And thank you so much for sharing the history of Horticulture Magazine and publication in general with us. It's and the changes and the future. We like to always talk a little bit about the future. Not We're very historically minded, Alice and I, but we love to also talk about where gardening is going. And I think you guys are leading the way in a really interesting way, Patty. Oh, thank you so much. It's really been a pleasure spending time with you guys today. And don't forget, if you need an urban gardening segment, we're here for you. We need to talk <laughs> offline. Okay, yes, okay. We'll do that. Okay, great. Thanks, Thanks lady. Patty. Thanks, Patty. Uh huh. Bye bye. Thanks to Jack Insley for producing and engineering. Thanks to Roberta's Pizza in Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you missed any part of the show, please note that it's available via archive on the website, heritageradionetwork.com, and via podcast at iTunes. Please join our Facebook fan page, Groundworks Inc., We Dig Plants, and also you can find us on Twitter, We Dig Plants. Visit our website, groundworksgardens.com. Happy gardening. See you in the garden. Thanks for listening to this program on the Heritage Radio Network. You can find all of our archived programs on heritageradionetwork.com, as well as a schedule of upcoming live shows. You can also podcast all of our programs on iTunes by searching Heritage Radio Network in the iTunes Store. You can find us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter for up-to-date news and information. Thanks for listening. This is Behind the Scenes Food News with Katie Kiefer. A beef cut has been designed for a beer pairing. I know you're all going to be really happy to hear that. The Samuel Adams Boston Lager Cut will be available nationwide through an online retailer. This was actually designed by Jake Dixon of New York City's Dixon's Farm Stand Meats, located in the Chelsea Market, and it's cut from the cap to the top sirloin at a 45-degree angle. It's a nice-looking little steak. It's an 8-ounce steak that is designed to complement Sam Adams Boston Lager. But I bet you could find other beers that it would pair well with as well. So um, look out for it. Let's see what it's like. This has been Behind the Scenes Food News with Katie Kiefer. Check out a small clip from the food scene hosted by Michael Harlan Turkel, a show where food and art intersect. I think most recently you had a chocolate waterfall that had five tons uh, of chocolate flowing, <laughs> and you'd put on, what, a protective suit, walk through a waterfall, yeah. make your own chocolates within this kind of contained environment. Mm-hmm. Um, and most recently, a rabbit cafe. Yep. Can you explain that one to me a little bit? Well, I'm, 
And this also slightly comes from jellies as well, because in England, everyone has these uh, rabbit jelly molds. It's the most popular mold. Everyone goes, oh, I had rabbit jellies yeah. as a kid. <laughs> and we've always been utterly bewildered by it. Why, why rabbit jellies? The only way to get to the bottom of it was to get a whole herd of rabbits, open a cafe with them, and have people touch rabbits and eat. Yeah. Um, so it kind of has resonance with uh, one, of, one of our favourite cookbooks, which we think an awful lot of uh, you know, modern chefs have, have as their dark secret under their pillow, <laughs> um, which is the future. Want to hear more? Well, tune into the food scene live every week, Tuesdays at 3 p.m. Or you can find all the archive shows on our website or subscribe to the podcast in iTunes. Thanks for listening.